Inspired by True Events. I'm Heather, married to Brian, mother of Zoe. I'm Brian, married to Heather, father of Zoe. I'm Zoe, daughter to Heather and Brian. <laughs> we are the Greys and we're your film fam. Today we're going to talk about the 1975 summer blockbuster Jaws, as uh, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Roy Scheider, Richard Dreyfus, and Robert Shaw. You were careful about that so that you didn't say Schneider, right? <laughs> yes. Schneider, always... I wrote. I wrote Schneider in my notes originally, but um, apparently it's Schneider. <laughs> was Jaws inspired by true events? Yes, it was, but maybe not the events that you are thinking of. Um, there is some rumors going around on the internet, and uh, we're going to talk about them as well as the true events that inspired the book and the movie. But first, Zoe, our just-turned-20-year-old daughter who's away at college and uh, calling in here from her dorm in New York, do you remember the first time that you saw Jaws? I do remember the first time that I saw Jaws. I, I don't know how I could possibly forget. I was eight or nine years old. Uh, I remember we were living in Indiana at the time, and I less remember my first viewing of it, but more the aftermath of the first viewing of it. Um, you know, I'd seen some wait, wait, horror... Wait, wait, wait. Do you think eight or nine is too young to watch Jaws? No, no, it's 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 a it's in the canon. It's in the film canon. If you want to be a film critic, eight or nine year old, as I was, you, you got to you got to start with um, the classics. I feel like I'd seen some horror, but I like I feel like I'd probably seen Halloween by then, which isn't that scary. We can talk later about whether Jaws is a horror movie, but I, I was minorly traumatized not as much as seeing the exorcist but i was afraid of my shower and also my toilet bowl because i thought <laughs> that perhaps there would be a shark in the water there so how more. would it get into the shower from the um up through the drain the bathtub <laughs> drain <laughs> or it's possible it could come down through the shower head and then like rematerialize uh, star trek style but i'm thinking or kind of just like up. knock on the door from beneath you. Yeah. <laughs> Telegram. <laughs> Who is it? Not a shark. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about you, Brian? Do you remember the first time you saw Jaws? Actually, I do. Um, as for my age, I was in elementary school. So uh, I don't know, grade plus six. I couldn't have been older than 11, probably younger. I was at my friend's house, oddly named Bradley Cooper. Uh, and the Bradley Cooper? No, no, no. This was this was a Bradley Cooper. Oh. And uh, we didn't start at the beginning. It was just on, and I was bored by it. I, I I don't know if it's because I didn't start at the beginning or because I was too young not to be bored. Or if it's a boring movie. Were you afraid of sharks after that or before that? No, not even a little bit. Uh, I've, I've never been afraid of sharks. When did your debilitating <laughs> fear of sharks start, Dad? And, what a, and do you still think it's boring? No, I think it's an amazing movie. It, I, I really like this movie. Yeah, it's one of the best, for sure, says I. But also, have you ever been in the wild with a shark, Brian? I've been in the wild. Um, and I've been in the open ocean. Yeah. I assume there were sharks around, but I don't know for sure. So no, you don't know. 
How about Every you? time I'm in the open ocean, I'm pretty sure there's sharks. <laughs> it, it could be a lake, even. The bathtub. Wait, the, that's not the Yeah, open the ocean. toilet. <laughs> well, you should be afraid. I first saw um, Jaws when I was six or seven. Like Brian, it was just on TV. And I was also bored because I was six or seven. So I was just like, who are these middle-aged white guys running around the beach? That's boring. I didn't care until the shark came and started biting people. But I really didn't care about the story. Um, it was just seemed like it was something for grown-ups. It wasn't a cartoon, so I wasn't interested. But it definitely like affected my life because I lived in a beach town and I went to the beach every weekend and there was always just a fear of Jaws. Tell me, do you think six or seven is too young to have seen Jaws? (laughs) I mean, no, because I'm fine as a person. I do have a fear of sharks, and I have been swimming in the ocean when a shark passed on by. Wow. Did it it eat and kill you? It did not seem to, no. But I was (laughs) snorkeling in the Keys, and I got out of the water right into the boat, and then right after I got out of the boat, a big old like black looking shark swam underneath and uh, it was probably a nurse shark, which the internet says um, are quite air quotes harmless unless you annoy them. And yeah, they I'm say that kind about of a annoying. lot of things. Yeah, I'm a very annoying person, so, <laughs> so that would not go well for no. me. There's a lot of animals out there that are harmless until you annoy them. And then you find out how easy it is to annoy them. <laughs> yeah. So um, yes, Jaws was inspired by true events. Um, it was much of the internet, if you look up, was Jaws inspired by a true story, true events? Uh, much of the internet will say it was inspired by a series of shark attacks um, off the coast of New Jersey in 1916. See, that's what I saw, and I thought that was the truth. Is that not the truth? Wrong. <laughs> it's well, wrong. Okay. Is it wrong? <laughs> wrong. Okay. Um, the true story of this event, which is not what inspired Jaws, but it's pretty awesome. So we're going to talk to you about it is um, basically starts with some people from Philly going down the shore as they do, as you do, as you do. Um, We're here in Philly now and uh, we don't go down the Jersey shore personally because of sharks, but yeah, mostly because of sharks, (laughs) but in um, 1916, a guy from Philly named Charles Van Sant, Uh, went down to Beach Haven, New Jersey, and he was swimming in the ocean. He was trying to get um, a golden retriever dog to, like, come out to the ocean to him. So he was shouting, you know, come out, come out. And then he just, like, started screaming. And and then he was, like, being bit by a shark. And people ran out to the ocean and grabbed him because he was, like, um, I think they said something like 130 yards out. Actually, I don't. I'm not sure. I don't know why I thought you were going to say 130 years old. <laughs> he was 25, uh, but he, he had aged a lot in that moment. So people ran out and grabbed him, and they formed like a human chain, and they grabbed him, and they started pulling him in, and the shark did not let go. And the shark actually didn't let go until the shark's belly was like up on the sand. Wow. And then it finally let go of him. So this is a hungry, hungry shark. Yeah, not so much of a beach haven now, huh? It's much like hippos, I'm, I have to understand. Imagine it like that. Just like he was one of the little marbles in Hungry, Hungry Hippo. I heard your, I heard your joke, Zoe. It was good. Beach Thank haven. you. I felt unappreciated by Dad's louder joke right after it. 
when you have a joke, it has to be loud. So they took um, Charles Van Sant to the closest building, which was a hotel, but he bled out on the manager's desk before they could get any medical oh, person shit. to oh, help man. him. And that was July 1st. Did they close the beach for the 4th of July? They did not close the beach for the 1st of oh, July. Why wouldn't, why wouldn't they close the beach? Did insurance cover the desk? <laughs> yes. That's what it says on the internet. They get really into that whole insurance uh, question. But, okay, so this is the thing. Before the shark attacked, people did not believe that sharks would ever attack a person. Because, you know, well, it would be bad for tourism. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, no, that would never happen, never. And when, even when it happened right in front of their eyes with this, uh, I keep wanting to say Gus Van Sant, who I, is the director, <laughs> but Charles Van Sant, um, they were still like, oh, I think it was maybe just a big turtle or maybe some kind of angry fish. Like, they <laughs> I did thought not. it was more likely that a turtle would devour a human it with its massive jaws. Yes, and maybe that could happen. I don't know. Five days later... July 6th, um, about 50 miles north of Beach Havens in a town called Spring Lake, which is like a fancy resort town, a bellboy at a local hotel named Charles Brudner, 28 years old, he was attacked 130 yards from shore, and both of his legs were bitten off, and he died of blood oh. loss on the lifeboat that pulled him out of the water. Because Gnarly. Yes. And right, because you're not swimming 135 yards with no legs. <laughs> not with no legs. No. So this attack, hundreds of people saw it. Like mostly all these rich people who were just like on the shore of this beach town, they witnessed the attack. And one woman said she saw it through her opera glasses because she's sitting there fancy with like opera glasses looking at the water. On the beach? On the beach. That looking for man-eating turtles, keeping an <laughs> eye out. Yeah. And she said she saw Bruder's body fly up into the air when the shark hit him and then the shark zoom in and bite him again oh. like repeatedly and apparently people watching like fainted and vomited <laughs> like it was a whole event and at this point the hotel phone operator like sent out a message and called up all the other hotels up and down the jersey shore and said get out of the water there's a shark so they did kind of like maybe close the beach momentarily but that's okay because it was after july 4th and there's <laughs> right. quite a ways to go till labor day Right. <laughs> right. So, I mean, it was monetarily, it wasn't point. a horrible decision. All right. But it's not done. Oh, wait, there's more. There's more. Of course. On July 12th, so now it's six days, I guess, after Bruder, um, up in Matawan, New Jersey, some local boys are swimming in a creek several miles inland from the ocean. Just a okay. straight of creek, not the, not, just, not the ocean, looks like not a even creek. a large river, just a creek. No, and I saw um, a picture of this creek, and it just looks like a creek. Okay, so closer to the mouth, I think that's, okay, you two are both geography experts, so I think <laughs> where the river touches the ocean is called the, the mouth? Sure. So I'm in no that. position to dispute that claim. Okay. I'm a geographical expert, and I say, okay. Okay, so... Closer to the mouth of this creek, um, there is a retired sea captain, and he's walking back from fishing in this creek, and he walks over a bridge. Does he look like Robert Shaw? No. This guy, I think he looks like, say, Colonel Sanders. 
in my oh. imagination. Oh. But not the white suit, but more like put a with cap the, on him. Is he the one with the monocle or is that the Monopoly That's guy? like a Mr. Peanut. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, whatever happens, I'm picturing this guy with a monocle. Go on. Okay, he's a sea captain, but he's retired. And so I'm picturing a big blue coat with some brass buttons and like a, a hat, I guess a monocle. Wait, it's so like a guy from the Navy? A retired Navy sea captain, not yes. just like he had a boat. Okay. Yes, I think that's right. <laughs> not a, a pirate captain. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it says captain, and I'm imagining that he's in the Navy. So captain this, and Tennille, maybe? <laughs> this retired sea captain, he's walking back from fishing. He crosses the bridge over the Matawan Creek, and he sees a dark gray shape about eight feet long swimming up the creek with the incoming tide. And he's like, shit, that's a shark because he's a sea captain. And other people, four other people saw it on the bridge. And so the sea captain, his name is um, Cottrell. He runs to a phone, old-timey phone booth because it's 1916. He cranks the crank. He cranks it. (laughs) (laughs) And he calls the barber shop. He calls a local barber shop. He says, operator, get me line, Klondike 4728. That's who I would call if I saw a shark. You would, because that the chief of police in Matawan is also the barber. So oh, that's <laughs> they they had to work a lot of jobs back then in, in there weren't as many people. So everyone had two jobs at least. So <laughs> this guy was the police chief, John Molsoff, also the town barber. Um he thought it was a prank. He's like, get out of here, you old sea dog. There's no shark <laughs> in the <laughs> In the creek, in the creek, and um, so Captain Cottrell was like, just started running down the street. There's a shark. There's a shark, and he started trying to tell people. And this is just like what happened with the Night Stalker case. That's how they got Richard Ramirez too. (laughs) Running down the street, get a mob together, and that's how they caught the shark. They ran him down in Boyle Heights. In this case, everyone was in the street, and they're like, "I think we're safe here." So we're just. Oh, no, no, because you don't remember the beginning of my story where I said there's some local boys swimming in a creek several miles inland. Oh, no. Okay. So I didn't remember. You said it, and I didn't remember. I, I may have not been paying attention. <laughs> Pay attention. So Captain Cottrell or Cottrell? What do you, how do you think, Brian? How do you think this is pronounced? I'm going with Cottrell. No. Cottrell. Cottrell. Yeah. <laughs> He, we need to get this guy's name right though, because he's in the story. So Captain yeah, Cottrell. People are going to us on, online. Bring it. <laughs> and bring, and also bring the per- correct pronunciation of Cottrell. <laughs> yes, please. So he's running around saying there's a shark in the creek. And he narrowly misses, apparently, some boys who are heading down there to go swimming. Like, he's there a couple of minutes right after these boys have already left, the original boys that I told you about. The shark's swimming up the creek, and he gets to that spot that I was telling you about where it's like a popular spot. There's a dock, and, and local kids like to go swimming in there. I guess just boys because, um, you know, I don't know that girls were allowed to put on a swimming costume and just swim in the creek because the boys got naked and jumped in the creek. Oh, so I'd hate to die naked in a in a small body of water. Well, here's a new fear for you. You're welcome. <laughs> so first the boys, they thought it was just a log floating up the river with the ocean tide. Now, how do we know they thought that? Because they said as they died, oh, 
Father, I just thought it was an eight-foot log floating up the river. That's how people <laughs> talked in the 1900s. <laughs> yep. Perhaps with a bit more urgency than that. <laughs> no, he's dying. <laughs> he has no breath. He developed a British accent as he died. <laughs> uh, you must know. I thought it was a log. <laughs> or maybe as the Navy guy was coming by, they were shouting, like, it's a log, it's a log. And he was like, no, but they couldn't hear him. Is that what, yeah. is that what we I think I mean, something it was? like that, something like that. So they first they think it's just a log floating up a river, but then they saw a dorsal fin. So they're like, oh, shit. And they start <laughs> climbing up the ladder to get off of this dock. And one little boy, 11-year-old Lester Stillwell, as he was climbing up the ladder, was pulled back into the water by the shark. If those boys had seen Jaws at age six or seven, they would know better That's by right. then. That's right. That's right. They would know not to go swimming in a creek. Yep. <laughs> Anywhere, really. <laughs> this is not helping my in the water. This is not helping my fear that sharks could just be anywhere. No. No. Not at all. <laughs> we can make a list of all the places that sharks could possibly be and then you know you know what to worry about. Not, I will constantly. Probably not your bathroom in your dorm. I'm going Unless... to do research and see if there's <laughs> you, ever you, been a time. You could be on a ladder. They can get you anytime you're on a <laughs> Definitely ladder. Definitely on a ladder. Any ladder. Anywhere. <laughs> okay, so poor little baby Lester Stillwell. He was just 11, just swimming with his friends. He also, we'll get into him in a second, but the boys that did not get pulled back into the water, they run into town naked, screaming, you know, and the folks are like, what? There's no shark in the creek. What are you talking about? And then even though two people, two different groups of people by now have been running up and down the streets yelling that there's a shark yeah these kids must have gone to a third street (laughs) a different street um and they said well lester has uh the adults were like you know what lester he has epilepsy we think he maybe he just had a seizure and you guys got scared and thought there was a shark because you've heard about sharks happen you know shark attacks happening but But then they're like we should go down there because there's a child having a seizure in the water yes okay good the group of adults follow the boys back to the site in the creek and they to to try to find lester and um some of them just like jump right on in the water and i guess there's a little couple that get in a rowboat and they're looking for him and a 24 year old local tailor named watson stanley fisher i love these names they're pretty good uh found little lester stillwell's body what was left of it and started pulling it you know over to the dock when he was attacked by that shark. Oh, no. Holy shit. It was Who just could have there. seen that coming? It was just there. He lost hold of Stillwell's body, and he was hitting the shark with his fist because it had him by the leg, and he's, like, punching it, and it wouldn't let go until the men with the rowboat rode over and started hitting it with it, their oars, and then it finally and then let him go. he ran down the street, and he was like, guys, <laughs> there's a shark, and they were like, no, I don't believe you, one-legged. Uh, okay. Well, yeah. What's I'm your face? sure. He ran down the street, except for his leg was only bone because oh. the shark had eaten like 10 pounds of flesh off of his leg. And then he also just died in the hospital. He bled to death. Now, just 30 minutes after this man who's going oh God, like- there's more people. Boy gets attacked. They go in looking for his body. Man gets attacked. 30 minutes after that attack, uh, Joseph Dunn, a 14-year-old from New York, he's visiting his aunt. Um, he goes out swimming with his friend, Jerry Harahan, 
and he goes into the Matawan Creek. And this is, again, they're swimming closer to uh, the actual ocean, and they haven't heard the news yet that there's um, a shark in this creek. So they weren't on the street? No, that one street, no, no. Okay, so they're swimming, little Joseph Dunn and Jerry Harahan. As they're swimming, good old retired sea captain Cottrell comes motoring up in his fishing boat, shouting for the boys, get out of the water, get out of the water. And Jerry Harahan, he's closer to shore, and he's able to get out immediately. Joseph Dunn starts swimming to the shore, and just 10 feet from the shore, something gets him by the leg and pulls him back into the creek. And his little teenage friend, Jerry, jumps back into the water to grab Joseph. And they have, like, a tug of war. Like, he's like, no, you can't take my friend. Why was this not in Jaws? (laughs) That's a hero, right? What a hero boy. He he was Quint all along. You know why it wasn't Jaws? Because this didn't inspire Jaws. This is just... (laughs) This is just another wrong... Okay, okay, so... (laughs) Inspiration aside, movie aside... Do sharks ever get full? Do they ever like, you know, they dab the corner of their mouth, they're like, I have had enough people for today. <laughs> I don't need to eat any more people. First of all, they didn't know from anything back in 1916 about sharks, and at least these people in New Jersey. Like, they thought that sharks would never attack a person, but then they thought when sharks this... were logs. <laughs> and then when this started to happen, they're like, let's kill all sharks, uh, but we'll get there. Okay. The captain ends up, there's this tug of war for little Joseph Dunn. Um, His friend actually jumped back into the water to pull him away from a shark. And the captain, Cottrell, brings his boat up alongside and pulls Joseph out of the water. What a brave little kid. I know. So the shark had bitten Joseph's left leg. And he was actually taken to this hospital. And he survived, but lost his leg. Wow. So there's one survivor. So... Folks really lost it after this because there had been five shark attacks in less than two weeks, three in one day. And, um, like, a shark was eating kids, just swimming in a creek. And so folks took their boats out in Matawan and started throwing dynamite into the creek trying to kill the shark. And just, like, taking their guns out, like, just shooting the water. This this just reminds me. I've been thinking this whole time that I think it's really funny that this real story is set in like fucking New Jersey and in Jaws, they're like, let's make it Martha's Vineyard. Let's film this in Martha's Vineyard because that's, that looks the same. But, but now I'm, I'm realizing because I, I have, I had this story about something that happened um, to Robert Shaw in Martha's Vineyard. He got shot at, he got, he got shot at by people. Well, not, not on purpose. It said that he, <laughs> he went and, and stayed at a rental house while it was filming with his wife. And the internet told me his quote-unquote manservant, um, <laughs> Eric Harrison, not my Fancy. words. Um, and they were, they were staying at a rental house. And like the first night that they were there, someone was just shooting, just shot a rifle into the house multiple times and was like damaging parts of the house. It went through the walls into the house. And they just... I guess it was they thought it was empty and um Oh sure. The sure. the story is that's gotta shoot it up. Right. That so Martha's Vineyard is the true <laughs> Right, Martha's it, Vineyard is a lot more like Matavan, New rough. Jersey than any of us might have thought. Yeah. <laughs> what did his manservant do? 
Apparently, uh, his manservant went outside and said, someone's shooting at us. I don't know if he had a British accent, but the use Definitely. of the word manservant, because Shaw was, Shaw was British. Yes. Yeah. So Lester Stowell's body was recovered because remember when um, uh, Fisher tried to pull it out and the shark attacked him and he lost the body. He wasn't able to hold on to it while he was being eaten by a shark. His body was recovered um, two days later. And then President Woodrow Wilson, he got involved. And he was like, I'm going to give you guys federal money to go kill sharks. Hell yeah. <laughs> so, no, Zoe. It's not good. No. It's not good. Hell no. Hell okay, no. so the mayor of Matawan posted a $100 reward, which is $2,300 in, today, in today's money for I anyone would, I would, yeah. who could kill a shark in the creek. Um but the shark wasn't in the creek anymore. It had left that creek. So They thought that shark was just going to straight hang out in the creek? Well, you never know. And I'm I would also want to blow up that creek. I'm imagining how big a, a creek is. And then you said an eight-foot shark. Yes. That's just taken up the whole creek. Yeah, that's crazy. Let that, me guess. It's not... There were 47 sharks delivered as part of that program who were uh, actually shot in open water and dragged into the creek. <laughs> Give me my money. They didn't find any shark, any more sharks in the creek, so they went out into the ocean in ships, uh, just locals, um, with rifles, harpoon guns, and axes. I'm sorry. Did you say axes? <laughs> just axes. I don't know if they're gonna like throw it at they a were shark. Winning just... with like an axe, maybe strapped to their back, and then when they found the shark, they were just gonna just sort of chop it. They were mad. They're mad. So they that used... is Helen. I'm not gonna take it anymore. <laughs> You can tell that I know that quote, but I've not seen that movie because I really did not know what accent to go to go with. Who says it that? They're, it's network. <laughs> we'll we'll oh, watch it someday. Okay, 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 okay. So they use sheep guts to lure the sharks to the boats and kill them do. with uh, rifles, harpoon guns, and even axes. And then I wrote, "It was a real mess." <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you added that. Did you write that like? Just says some flavor text from yes. your own brain. In parentheses. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. Oh, gnarly, dude. <laughs> so a few days after uh, the attack, the, the last three attacks that happened on the 12th, uh, retired sea captain, Katra, yes. captured a shark, a sandbar shark near the mouth of Matawan Creek. And um, he's like, maybe this is the shark. But then you're going to like this guy. And I really... Don't know enough about this man, but Michael Schlesser. <laughs> I, I like to think that the Schleiser. exhale that you did halfway through that name is like part of the pronunciation. You, what is Schle it I said Schleiser. Schleiser? Schleiser. Okay. Michael You're right. Schleiser. I don't know enough about Michael Schleiser. Please tell My me more. Michael Schleiser. Schleiser? Schleiser? <laughs> Did he slice it with an axe? Ooh, I, I hope he sliced it. Listen to his description from Wikipedia. A yes. Harlem taxidermist and Barnum and Bailey Holy lion shit. tamer. Oh, my God. Like, There's so much there already. I mean, come on. What you know, a I, character. I, would, I really want to uh, befriend a taxidermist. Slash lion tamer. Slash lion tamer. I never thought I would get two in one. Okay. He caught a seven-and-a-half-foot, 325-pound shark only a few miles from Matawan Creek. He says, the sh and he was with somebody else who 
is not interesting enough to name, I guess. And, <laughs> well, but, were they a taxidermist slash lion tamer? <laughs> no. And I don't know, actually. They could have been because I don't know anything about them other than they were there to corroborate the story that the shark nearly sank the boat before Schleiser killed it. <laughs> The shark nearly sank the boat before they were able to kill it with a broken oar. Wow. So I guess stab axes it? could have been the way to Yeah, is that piercing damage? That's wow. <laughs> like did they stab it in the eye? Did so they So tell me that the other ones, it took guns and axes and but this guy, it was just a little bit of oar action that got it and then he died. <laughs> but from a lion tamer. So. This is true. And a taxidermist. He knows his way around an animal's anatomy. <laughs> he does. He does. So when they opened the shark's belly, they found 15 pounds of human flesh and bone. Ooh. Oh. That, so. was, it, that was an army hammerhead shark. No. Oh, Brian, no. Oh, you know mom hates army hammer jokes and also constantly references him. It's a weird <laughs> macabre uh morbid fascination my mother has oh, with no. army hammer i don't really want army hammer coming for me so we're gonna have to cut this part out <laughs> okay so scientists identified the shark as a great a young great white mm. and but after this uh shark was captured and killed the attack stopped yeah, I mean, it was probably this guy with 15 pounds of human flesh in his stomach. This guy. Were, were we thinking that it might not be this one? <laughs> you never know. But, you know, it was him probably. So um, the taxidermist slash lion tamer, he mounted the shark and placed it on display in the window of a Manhattan shot on Broadway. But I later, nothing less. But later it was lost. Oh, so by lost you mean lost to time or like stolen or i mean how do you lose a seven and a half foot long shark i don't know but there's pictures of this guy and the shark um on the internet so if you want to look it up if you just look i up. do i want to see if he looks like i'm imagining a harlem taxidermist slash lion tamer by the name of schleiser My really look. hot are we thinking <laughs> fancy Handlebar mustache, mustache. Yes, mustache <laughs> for sure <laughs> That is a great story, and you can see a lot of parallels with Jaws. It's around Fourth of July holiday. The shark is actually like killing children, killing mm -hmm. people in front of a, hundreds of people on a beach. It's a great white, and it is actually even referenced in Jaws, <laughs> in the scene oh, it is. where Brody and Hooper uh, try to convince the mayor to close the beaches. And I'm going to oh. play that right now, real quick. Okay, well. I actually have the script of Jaws in front of me. So, oh, yes, read it out loud. Martin Brody. Can you <laughs> read, read this the whole part? script out loud? No, just this part right here. I want this to be actually okay, so in the podcast. Should I? should I do? Okay, I'll be Martin, and you can Guys, be. Guys, just so you know, here's what happened. We had some technical difficulties. <laughs> so, instead of watching the clip, my parents are going to read it out loud, and I very much want this to be in the final cut. Please, please continue. And who, Hooper is Richard Dreyfus. Brian, you're Richard Dreyfus. I'm uh, Martin Brody, and Zoe, you're the mayor who has no I lines. Oh, okay, <laughs> great. Because I was going to say I don't have this. I don't have the script. You're just the mayor in spirit. Got to channel Richard Dreyfus. All right. Okay. This is a great white, Larry. A big one. Any shark expert in the world can tell you it's a killer. It's a man eater. 
Look, the situation is that a great white shark has staked a claim in the waters off Amity Island, and he's going to continue to feed here as long as there's food in the water. And there's no limit to what he's going to do. I mean, we've already had three incidents, two people killed inside of a week, and it's going to happen again. It happened before. The Jersey Beach. 1916, <laughs> there were... 1916, five people chewed up on the surf. In one week. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> So, so that was so that, that was, was the night. That was dead on. That was incredible, you guys. It was. Hats thank off. you. Thank you. Thank you. They reference it, but Peter Benchley, who wrote Jaws, the novel, said, "Nope, that's not what inspired <laughs> me. Wrong." Um, he was said that he was inspired by a real life quint type named Frank Mundus. Mm. A Long Island shark fisherman. This is a shorter story. Frank Mundus ran... But for future reference, we are going to spend 20 minutes of each episode telling the things that are not the actual <laughs> inspiration for the movie that we're doing. Just some other stuff Look, that kind of sounds like it could relate, but doesn't. That story needed to be told. That was a good-ass story. It, it did, and if not by the movie Jaws, then at least by you. <laughs> it's right. It needs to be out there in the world. It, he said that that story didn't inspire Jaws, but it was still like in the nat in the consciousness. So in some way, it had to inspire him, right? But right. what he says inspired Jaws was um, a guy named Frank Mundus who ran charter boats out of Montauk, Long Island. Oh, which I, just like in the Billy Joel song yeah. that that talks about Montauk. Yeah, that's where you take on Diesel. Easter Alexa. Yes. Right. So a charter boat is like you pay for someone to take you out to go fishing, basically. I don't know if you know that, Zoe. Sounds like a lose-lose, but continue. <laughs> so Frank Mundus, he's out there in Montauk since 1951, taking fishermen out to catch mackerel and bluefish. And one night in the 1950s, the sharks outnumbered the bluefish, and he ended up catching a shark. So next day, Mr. Mundus posts a sign by his boat that says, Monster Fishing. Oh, no, wait. hell yeah. It says, Monster Fishing. It says one of those. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> in, a, in a certain tone of voice. The first way, is, there's a monster that went fishing. Yeah, that's wrong. He's saying, hey, I can take you monster fishing. And he started the whole monster fishing industry. Yes, it, and it still thrives to this day. It's like a whole channel, I bet, on or a whole series on Discovery. Sounds like something. a TV show that you would watch while you're trying to fall asleep. It's like a, what's that, what's that thing you watch? Lazy Boat? <laughs> Lazy Boat. <laughs> Long, long boat that okay, can, I sit on a, for hours. For narrow boat. Uh, what is it? Travels by narrow boat? Yes, travels by narrow boat, a.k.a. lazy boat. But, but with monster fishing now. Okay. All those monster fish in the, uh, in the canals of, uh, of Britain. If they can get to a creek, they can get to a canal. That's all <laughs> That's I'm right. saying. And they, they get out and they use the locks. They let the water in and out so they can pass. <laughs> If they can get to a canal, if they can get through a lock, <laughs> they can get into my bathtub. They can be anywhere. Mr. Mundus becomes Monster Man, is what people start calling him. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> no, he loves it. Listen, he earned the reputation of being one of the world's foremost shark catchers, and he was quite flamboyant. And Zoe, I can't wait to tell you about this guy. By flamboyant, you mean in the way that that Quint is flamboyant uh, no, or, or like actually no more more so he wore a safari hat 
a diamond-studded gold earring, a jeweled-handled dagger with a shark tooth blade, and he painted one big toenail green and the other toe the uh, red for port and starboard. Okay, you're flamboyant, you're well, flamboyant. Okay, there's a couple things to unpack there. One, I will marry this man. Two, He's dead, sorry. Two, well, I have questions about that too. <laughs> Was he killed by a shark? But two, did he have to paint his toes in order to remember which side was port and starboard? I just think it's a great idea. I should do that because I hate, I really don't know. And every time we're on a ship, I just feel like, ha, 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 whenever they talk about port and starboard, I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm, I was DMing my, my role-playing game, and there was an entire part where they were at sea on a pirate ship for like five sessions, and not once did I, did I learn uh, what port and starboard were, and they were constantly asking. It's, um, it's not learnable. And number three, I'm just going to picture him like Jake Gyllenhaal and Okja. <laughs> Basically, that's what okay. I'm thinking. Okay. In 1964, monster man Frank Mundus, <laughs> he had caught, already caught two sharks, had a third shark on his hook when he spotted a huge shark alongside the boat. And um, I'm going to have to have Brian read something from, from the Daily News, 1977. That quote. Just to there. Read okay. it in your Quint voice. Oh, gosh. Quint voice. Okay. Okay. I harpooned him and he took off for the horizon. Before I got him, I harpooned him five times. A white shark. A killer. He was 17 and a half feet long, 13 feet in girth, and weighed at least 4,500 pounds. Biggest ever caught. <laughs> Incredible. All of my voices are actually just my voice and very, very slightly... No, tilted toward the person I'm trying to do. You do good, Quint. You're good. Um, so Peter Benchley read that article about this harpooning, and he even references it in the introduction to Jaws. And so Peter Benchley says, in 1964, I read an item in a newspaper about a fisherman who harpooned a 4,500-pound great white shark off of Long Island. And I remember thinking at the time, Lord, what would happen if one of those monsters came into a resort community and wouldn't go away? I tucked the item into my wallet, and for the time being, I forgot about it. So actually, so Benchley actually went out on some trips with Mundus. Um, Benchley had always had a fascination with sharks and had even caught some on family fishing trips. Um, and he went out with Mundus on a chartered shark fishing trips multiple times. And Benchley really liked that Mr. Mundus would harpoon huge sharks with lines attached to barrels so he could track them and run them to exhaustion. So that's where that comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they didn't Very just make that cool. up. Right, but Mr. Mundus uh, Mr. did not. Mundus. <laughs> so, but this is what Mr. Mundus has to say about uh, Jaws. He said, everything he wrote was true, except I didn't get eaten by the big shark. I dragged him in. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he made him a tragic hero. He's a badass. In real life, he, he just... He just is like, yeah, f fuck you, story of Quint. And <laughs> I I'm much more of a badass than, than Quint is in the movie Jaws because I actually did it. it he also said, it was the funniest and stupidest movie I'd ever seen <laughs> because too many stupid things happened in it. For instance, no shark can pull a boat backwards at a fast speed with a light line and stern cleats that are only held in by two bolts. Duh. I know, if it had been three bolts, then, like, I might have been able to suspend my disbelief. Or, like, a thicker line. 
or yeah, bigger maybe. boat. <laughs> there's a there's another um, real Quint, quote unquote, the dude that played Ben Gardner, which I think is the guy whose head shows up later. Yes. I think that's Ben Gardner's head. He was a Martha's Vineyard native. And he's the one who Robert Shaw like like talked to for the for the accent and got a bunch of his um, like old sea stories that he kind of peppered into his improv for Quint. So that was that was another dude. I think his name was Craig Kingsbury that helped make the Quint character. Well, and he's really one of the best characters. Like he makes that movie, I think, and the it's best true. the best scene. I the USS Indianapolis speech, Indianapolis, yeah. which is also a true event. So, Brian, do you want to tell us about that? Well, okay, so for those of you who haven't heard the speech, it's about uh, Quint was a sailor on the USS Indianapolis. Uh, the, the boat goes down, and they're in the water for a long time with sharks eating people until they're rescued. And it's a, it's a very emotional speech and scene that gives you a lot of insight into how and why the character is uh, who he is. And maybe it's it makes it a little more impressive that he goes out with the, uh, with the sharks after this, uh, kind of in a, uh, I don't know, Humphrey Bogart in African Queen way when he, uh, he gets in with the, uh, was it leeches? Uh, after talking about like, that's the, that's the only thing he fears. I was gonna say it's like a, a, his Batman origin story like there the, you go. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nolan, Batman falling in a well full of bats. <laughs> Absolutely. So to get in the mind of uh, these people, these uh, sailors on the Indianapolis, I think we want to go back in time a couple missions and start with the invasion of Okinawa. This was in March 1945. Uh, and the USS Indianapolis was part of the invasion. Uh, it, was a, it was a relatively large-scale effort. And this was one of the boats. Uh, but it took a hit from a bomb dropped by a Japanese plane. Uh, there, there are some reports, some people say that it was a kamikaze pilot, but uh, the analysis of the damage is this is clearly a bomb. Uh, a bomber dropped this bomb. It went through the deck, through the mess hall, through the berthing compartment, through the fuel tanks, through the keel to the water underneath, and then exploded. Wow. And somehow that ship still exist existed after that mission yeah that's a testament to the uh the engineering done on those on those ships nine crewmen were killed and it required emergency repairs which they did after the invasion so that it could limp home uh, all the way across pacific to uh, mare island naval yard uh, about 25 miles northeast of san francisco uh, and went you know retrofit uh, went under repairs to try to patch it back together and make it useful again. But this is March 1945. You know, by the time they got back, it was probably April 1945, and the war is winding down. The U.S. is getting ready to invade Japan, and uh, that's basically, that's the last major effort, is an invasion of Japan. Everyone on board was pretty much convinced they were done with the war. And this was, uh, they had uh, paid their dues, fought their fights, and been bombed. And now their ship, which is, which is their mission, uh, their ship is undergoing some serious repairs for a long time. Uh, but it was exactly that situation that made that ship useful to undergo a top secret mission and transport the uranium core 
of Little Boy, the bomb that was ultimately dropped on Hiroshima, over to, to Tinian Island for assembly into the nuclear bomb. This is like wow. a Bond plot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They bring these things on board, two huge heavy cylinders. Uh, they're like the size of refrigerators and, and super duper heavy because uranium is, is heavier than, than lead or gold. And everybody on the crew is wondering what the deal is because these are guarded 24-7 uh, and it's all there's a big air of mystery around these. And the crew's placing bets on what it is. Uh, uh, bets that uh, nobody got right. Although Ensign John Wollstone claims that he knew all along, but was afraid to let it be known that he knew because he kept up on science stuff. And in the 30s, there was you know discussion of uh, of Einstein and theories, and this could be done. And somehow he knew that no, oh, if you've got two really heavy things like this, they could be uranium, and they're two halves of what could be smushed together to make a critical mass and blow up. You're giving him big benefit of the doubt that he actually did know and, and wasn't just like, oh yeah, I totally knew all along. Yeah, I think <laughs> there could be a little artistic license with that one. Yeah, sure, I knew. But they got there. They got the stuff to Tinian. And after that, uh, you know, they, they headed over to Guam for uh, some of the crew members had reached the end of their tour and they were rotated off the ship. Some new ones rotated back on and then headed over to the Philippines for training. Uh, before probably returning to Okinawa. But it was all kind of pretty low-key at that point. Uh, I don't think there were real plans to have this ship participate in the invasion of Japan, if such a thing was needed. Nobody you know, at the top levels actually knew if the, uh, the nuclear bombs would be enough or if we'd have to invade. But it doesn't make it to the Philippines. It gets about With halfway the sharks? there. <laughs> I, keep waiting for the, I keep waiting for the sharks. Yep. Well, it's been such a crazy... I was so scared that the sharks were going to happen while the nuclear stuff was on the ship or... Well, uh, see, the nuclear stuff is what makes the sharks into super sharks. <laughs> oh, I Which see, then I see, blow I see. up to 100 times their normal size and they start walking <laughs> around on land. And it's a whole big thing that... It's a uh, deep blue sea situation. Yeah, the, the, the news doesn't tell you this. Well, and they won't tell you this on the Discovery Channel either. You have to come to our podcast to hear stuff like this. It's only here when you get these kind of raw facts. That's right. So about halfway to the Philippines, uh, and this is where it needs to be said, that these large destroyers don't come with sonar. Uh, I guess I would have to come with sonar. We, we made them, but they didn't make them with sonar. Uh, they saved all of the possible weight for armaments, guns, uh, ammo, all that stuff is up on deck. And they don't have sonar. So it's just common practice to travel with an escort. And these escort ships, they have sonar and they're in communication and they say what's going around. This trip from Guam to the Philippines had no escort. So it's just this ship with no sonar. There's a Japanese sub. The Japanese sub shoots them with two torpedoes and blows up the ship. And, and this, is, this is straight from the speech that the ship went down in 12 minutes. Uh, oh, it's... so the sharks happened after. <laughs> I, thought, I, I, was, I thought the sharks were going to bring down the ship. I thought that's what you're leading to with the sonar lake, so they couldn't see the sharks coming from below, to eat it from below. It was kind of unsaid that the Japanese made these torpedoes out of sharks. No, listen, it's a big <laughs> metal ship, Zoe. Yeah, have you seen the shark from Jaws? <laughs> it's not a boat. It's like a, it's like a big World War II. It's huge. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, um, 
during World War II, I, actually after uh, after Pearl Harbor, when so many of our Pacific ships, uh, warships were sunk, uh, the U.S. transitioned to a new general strategy of uh, of having uh, aircraft carriers, and so our ships just carried the aircraft, and the aircraft did the shooting. But this was an old style destroyer that actually does shooting itself and had a bunch of guns on the on, on the deck and everything, and it became top heavy. So when it was shot with the, uh, the torpedoes, uh, it rolled over in 12 minutes. The speech says that, that it sunk in 12 minutes. It, it rolled over in 12 minutes. There was another couple minutes before it actually sunk. Wow. That makes sense, too, because I was wondering if it, it had to go down before the sharks came, I guess, because otherwise, why, why did they not shoot the sharks was going to be my next question. Right. Right. But now yet, I understand yeah. why, because the guns were all underwater and and rendered useless. Yeah, and everybody is advised to and keep their powder dry. And stuff. Right, right, right. By the numbers, uh, the speech said uh, 1,100 people went into the water. Uh, and you can kind of see this uh, more than one way. There was, roughly speaking, 1,200 crewmen on the ship. And feel free to, you know come in and be pedantic about this and, and correct me, there were 1,195. But I, I find it useful to round this off because, uh, you know, skipping to the, to, to, to the end here, uh, 1,200 people go in, uh, uh, 300 go down with the ship, 300 get rescued. And we're talking about a quarter, half a quarter. A quarter of the crew dies by going down with the ship, half of the crew dies in the water and a quarter oh. survives. Yeah. Wow. So, so the half that died in the water, that was sharks, pretty much. Well, I'm getting to that. <laughs> it's a little more complicated. Uh, so these, these crewmen, the 900, roughly, crewmen that went into the water, let's go through what, what, what they went through, okay? So I don't want to go through what they <laughs> went through, but... <laughs> let's, uh, let's, let's get the rundown on what they went through. So lack of food and water particularly water, jumping ahead a little bit, they get rescued in three and a half days. They died of dehydration in the sea? That is some, that is some raw shit. That's some water, water everywhere and not, to, not a drop to drink, kind of like. Yeah, and it gets, it gets worse. Um, but yeah, there was a lack of food, but you, three and a half days without food isn't going to kill you. Uh, and some of the sailors, uh, they found spam and other rations floating uh, that had escaped the ship. But the water was a problem. Uh, dehydration... And uh, hypernatremia, if you, uh, you parse that, the, the symbol for sodium is Na from natremium. Uh, hypernatremia is high blood levels of salt, sodium oh, salt in particular. They although, were drinking the salt water. Although the same thing happens with, with uh, potassium salts, calcium salts, if you have too many salts. Drinking the salt water is one way to get this. Also simply being submerged in salt water for so long, it... By osmosis, it raises the level of salt in your body, and your nervous system runs on electricity. If you take a uh, uh, you take a uh, a bottle of distilled water and you, you run electricity through it, it won't work. It's a perfect insulator. You you can't even conduct electricity through it. You go through salt water. It's like a wire. It's like there's no resistance at all. So as the salt level goes up your body conducts electricity better and better and better. And your nervous system doesn't know what to do with that. You start hallucinating, you start twitching, you lack muscle control, all kinds of things 
happen. So we should really be afraid of salt water. Don't worry about sharks. Seriously, I, I, I don't I think I'm even going to salt my pasta anymore. I'm now afraid that there will come salt water out of my shower head and it will electrocute me, which is what I'm taking away from <laughs> the science that Dad just explained. Salt water out of the shower head and a shark out of the drain. And then they meet in the middle. Oh, uh, one gets me from above, one gets me from below. So that, I do, I, mean, I do feel, I feel bad for these guys. I mean, I have this, I have this list of the things that happened to these. I, we just got through bullet point number one. <laughs> what else happened? This whole thing so far. What else happened to them? Uh, exposure, dehydration from the sun, hypothermia from the cold, desquamation from the salt water, and they're floating in bunker oil, so they're all covered with oil. Ew. And do you know what desquamation is? I, I, is it anything like defenestration? <laughs> yes. No, no, it's actually not. Wrong. <laughs> but it does Wrong. have the prefix D in it, so you were close. Hmm. Uh, Some kind when, of deation. Okay, say it again, say it again. Desquamation. Okay, you're, you're unesquamationing yourself. Oh, when all the squid gets taken out of your body and you yep. don't want it to. You want that squid in there, but it it's gets taken squid. out. It comes out of all your pores, just pulls out. Because oil does that to you. <laughs> okay, no. Uh, I was Pro homeschooled. If you've ever again. had a, um, a sunburn where your skin peeled, that's desquamation. Yeah. Oh, no. uh, but that's one layer There's of skin. Oh, don't uh, so tell me it happened to more of their layers. Where we're of going skin. here is that more layers of skin start getting, you know, infiltrated with water. They can't hold together, and then you start peeling. No, I don't like this story. God, imagine if Quint had had told this whole thing, <laughs> like <laughs> in the middle of Jaws. They're just like, and then like so many layers of skin started peeling off. Yeah, like like they're showing their scars. Then he's like, see this layer of skin here. <laughs> and oh, and you know, and we can. Oh, shit. We can address the sharks. All this time, the sharks are below them, circling around, and everybody can see them. And oh. everybody knows the sharks are right there. A lot of people died to suicide. How do you kill yourself in the ocean? You just drown on purpose? You can drown on purpose, yeah. The, the hypernatremia and shock uh, messes with their brains. Uh, delirium, hallucinations, uh, and people, you know, couldn't handle it. and. Very understandable. Were there, there for sure actually sharks, or was it a mass hallucination of sharks? No, there were sharks. There, <laughs> there are sharks known to be there, and it was a consistent story from the survivors. You're right; it's possible that that was a mass hallucination, but probably not. Wounds uh, suffered in the sinking. Uh, you know, the the ship got slammed; it's rolling over. People are trying to get. Some people got wounded and uh, you know bled out or otherwise died in the water uh just uh you know your legs are wounded you can't you can't swim you can't keep yourself up and so the sharks Darkish. themselves yeah this oh. shark story has become really very dark, dark. <laughs> i know it was all funny when it was just little kids getting their legs eaten off but now right no no pretty much every sailor that held on to a ladder was doomed oh Brian. <laughs> uh, so there are sharks known to be there and a uh uh the uh, Ocean of Fear episode of uh, Shark Week, of the Discovery Channel documentary series Shark Week, week uh, kind of analyzed what was there and decided most of these were going to be oceanic white-tipped sharks, some tiger sharks. 
which Quint references in the speech. He says mm -hmm. uh, he saw a 13-foot tiger shark. And so that rings true. And it's estimated that this was the most shark attacks on humans in history. But it's also estimated that that estimate is high because the most likely series of events for these sharks uh, is that they're, they're circling below, waiting for people to die and sink, and then they eat the dead body. That said, it's totally understandable that sailors in the water would see the sharks there, hear people screaming from delirium and hallucinations, and knowing how many people died, the story rings true. It matches up, and you think sharks are eating all these people. Well, question, did these sailors annoy the sharks? Well, okay, so some... <laughs> some of them. Some interviews with the sharks after the event uh, <laughs> lead to kind of a contradiction in evidence here. The, the sharks believe that they were provoked. Yeah, and, and, and the shark was like, dude, this guy called me a log. I don't stand for that. <laughs> I, you're telling me such a dark story right now. And I'm over here with my two pages of notes that are just like, Brody's dogs were actually Steven Spielberg's dogs. <laughs> well, that's a good thing to have happen after this, okay? Because this is a bunch of death. They were the death part is about over. Roughly six hundred, roughly five hundred eighty people. He's okay. trying to rush they through die. now because you're upset, <laughs> Zoe. Blah blah blah. Five hundred eighty people die. Nobody and I'm sure all the survivors were fine and had no emotional trauma to speak of, right? Yeah. Yeah. So three and a half days later, a patrol bomber spots them. Three and drops, a half days. They're sitting in that situation. Drops the life raft, the one that they have on that random <laughs> no. bomber, because that's not their job. Uh, they, they drop a life raft and a radio transmitter, but they also call in that they found these people. The life raft falls way off course. Nobody's near it. People try to swim, but they're too weak. They can't actually swim to the life raft, so it oh gets unused. Gosh. Yeah, I was the... thinking, I can only tread water for like half an hour. How are they out there for three and a half days? No, no, nobody tread water for three and a half days. They were holding on to things. They there, was, had, uh... there was wreckage, okay. Well, and, but, and, and oh, life vests. that's rough. They had life vests. Okay. In, in fact, in the speech, I believe Quint says, I'm never putting a life vest on again. Yeah, I'm going to do part of the speech. Okay. Although this. you think that the things, life then. vest would be one of the things that was a plus in that scenario. Yeah, I mean, this like everyone he, like who survived, come out of I'm that sure, very had a pro vest. life vest. Yeah, uh, it, it's interesting though that one of the survivors, <laughs> one of the survivors, uh, talked about that a standard practice is to throw the vest in the water, jump after it, get to the vest, and put it on in the water because they're jumping mm -hmm. from like I don't know how high it was. The deck is like fifty feet up. It's um, but seeing how many people were in the water, not near any vests. This, this person put it on first and jumped in and dealt with the idea that uh, he said he felt like uh, he was being pulled down by the feet and pulled up by the head. And, uh, and it was very traumatic. And that, that's why they tell you to do it the way they tell you to do it. But he kept his vest and he survived to tell the story. Uh, so after the bomber calls it in, the first on scene was an amphibious seaplane, uh, which dropped more rafts with better aim this time and uh, took a vote among the crew of the seaplane. Uh, there were standing orders not to land in open water because it's wartime, and if you land, you get bombed. The seaplanes you know, are meant to not need a runway. You, you do your mission, and then you land on the water, but back, back where it's safe. They decided to violate that standing order 
and land in 12-foot swells, which the plane was also not equipped to land in. But they got down. They took on 56 survivors, not all of whom fit inside the plane. They strapped some of them to the wings with parachute cord. No. <laughs> Imagine being one of the guys that, like, you get rescued and they're like, uh, we already filled it up. I, I know you've been, like, dying of desculchification or whatever the fuck for <laughs> three and a half days, but we're just going to strap you to the outside of a plane and fly away with you on it. Yeah. This is a banana story. Look, <laughs> consequently, the plane could not take off. Oh, gosh. Oh, Jesus Christ. But... It did so serve as a there. very large survival raft for its crew, plus 56 people who would otherwise be in the water. Um, so and then, kind of like rode it over to... Yeah. I mean, the plane got there first, but then in due time, by, uh, uh, by nightfall, you know, maybe this is another, uh, another four or five hours, uh, seven rescue ships arrived and they did pick up everyone else and they sunk the seaplane, which could never fly again. By the numbers... The speech was dead on, 316 survivors, although wow. two more died later that month. So you, you could say that it was 314 actual survivors. Hold on, hold on. 1,100 men went into the water. 316 men came out. The sharks took the rest. Hey. hey. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> We're all busting out our quit impressions tonight. Yeah, so that's the story. I... You know, the only thing about the USS Indianapolis that happened after that is that it was found by uh, uh, Paul Allen, uh, uh, ex-Microsoft executive. Uh, uh, you know, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> was he a scuba diver looking for wreckage of World War II? Actually, that's, that checks out. That sounds like the kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess the, these, these rich guys, they, they get their uh, deep-sea submarines. And it was, uh, you know, you get your deep sea submarine. It was some six or seven miles down and they, they found it and took pictures of it or whatever it is you do with that. I mean, they found the Titanic. So why not this one? Wow. Well, good job. Amazing. Thank you. So, nice. so Peter Benchley heard, well, actually that story was for the movie and was co-written by several of the writers and by Robert Shaw himself. But both of those stories that we just heard. Peter eventually, you know, like learned about all of this and then was like, I'm going to write a book. And and here's some of the plot points in the book that were not in the movie. He was like, okay, how about the mayor is under pressure from the mafia because okay. they have real estate investments and that's why they don't close the beach. Sexy. Also, ah. what if Hooper has sex with Brody's wife? Let's throw that in there. Not sexy. No disqualification, no, 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 just... but... Jump to I mean, the conclusion that's, Hooper, that's not sexy. That could be sexy. No, I like... I mean, Bro Richard Dreyfuss, man. I think Brody and Mrs. Brody's relationship is sexy, and I like it the way it is. I think that Brody and Hooper's relationship is sexy, and <laughs> I will not be taking questions on that. <laughs> the... The the movie... The, the filming of the movie, I would say, was about as traumatic, um, or like... Like, just a, a couple notches less, maybe, than uh, what happened with the USS Indianapolis. Oh, I'm excited. Uh, every, everyone had a, a kind of rough time on set because the shark was a goddamn menace. It was so... Mal it malfunctioned constantly. It 
it never worked well. And we love this. We love one of the things we love about this movie, right? Is that it's so it's like Halloween esque in that you only see the uh, the monster sometimes. Actually, you don't see the shark until one hour and twenty one minutes into the two hour movie. But that is because it <laughs> really it was just constantly breaking down. It very rarely worked during shooting, so they got like very little good footage of it actually working. <laughs> it was 25 feet long and 1.2 tons, um, and there was a rig. And when they first brought it uh, to Martha's Vineyard, they they had tested it in water, but only in the studios, and so it wasn't salt water. So it just immediately sank to the bottom of the ocean floor, and they had to like go get grab it and bring it back out. And it this made the entire shooting process so long that, you know, this was supposed to be, this is uh, the first big summer blockbuster, right? But it was not supposed to be. It was supposed to come out on Christmas of 1974 because all the big movies that you really wanted people to see, you would release in the winter. And summer was for, like, the shittier stuff. Wow. Um, is this back when it, people used to go outside during the summer? Instead of watching This is movies. back when people used to go to movie theaters. <laughs> oh, too soon? Um, <laughs> and, and shoots took so long that instead it came out, they had to push it to the summer of 1975, but then over 67 million people saw it. It was the first film to ever gross $100 million at the box office, and it was the highest grossing film of all time until Star Wars New Hope happened. Wow. Um, but and now summer blockbusters are the thing. But That's before the then, thing. like yeah. summer was the off season kind of. It was they 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 had some really interesting like the practical effects for how they tried to get some of the the shark attacks to happen. Like the the very first shark attack from the opening, where uh, I think the actress's name is Susan Backlany. She's she's dragged back and forth through the water. Yeah. What they did was they had they attached her feet her like ankles to underwater cables and then they had no, crew members not, I don't like on, that they had crew members back on the shore run back and forth oh and jerk her around but they were like we're not going to tell her when we're going to do it so that her reaction is genuine <sighs> this sounds unsafe and then for the sound of of her drowning they got her into the studio got a mic <laughs> they set drowned up, right? her they she turned, they turned her head back and poured water down her throat. Waterboarding. This I sounds love, very I love bad. what directors do to women to get good this shots. Is, this is like some Alfred Hitchcock shit where it's like, let's not That's trust the actress to actually know what she's doing. Let's, we have to actually physically abuse her to get what we want. Mm-hmm. I mm -hmm. love it. Also, also, while we're talking of what inspired this movie... And since it's my time down here to oh. say the, the weird shit, the inconsequential stuff that you guys didn't mention. But can you say shit on the internet? <laughs> we better be able to because I've been... <laughs> I, we give you our leave as your parents. Oh, thank you, parents of mine. Mm. Um, this was obviously inspired in large part by Moby Dick. Um, there's also connections to Ibsen's Enemy of the People. Moby Dick in particular, um, in the original script, they wanted to introduce Quint in a movie theater uh, showing um, John Huston's 1958 Moby Dick, showing the movie. And he would be there, and he would be 
is it Houston? Is that is that why you're giving me that face? It's, it's Houston. It's Houston. So in the 1958 John Houston movie Hugh, Houston. of Moby Dick. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Let's get that right. Because listen, John Houston, we love him. He was in Chinatown. And he also. He was in it? Who did he play? The, you know, a guy. No, no spoilers, but. <laughs> oh, that is a spoiler. Oh, so like a. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. So if you haven't seen Chinatown, spoilers for this entire episode of Jaws. No, wait. He was in Chinatown. And then (laughs) Treasure of the Sierra Madre, he kills the main character. Okay, no, no. Those are fake spoilers. Listen, in Chinatown, he was in Chinatown as Faye Dunaway's dad, and he was also the director of The Treasure of the Sierra Madre and the Maltese Falcon and African Queen. So we need to get his... We need to and say 1958 Houston. Moby Dick, which starred Gregory Peck as Ahab. But here's the tea is that... Love the Peck. Greg- yeah, well, Peck, Mr. Peckster, he owns the film rights to Moby Dick. And he, they had to cut that scene, that introduction of Quint, because he didn't let them use the footage because he disliked his performance in that movie so much. He was like, you cannot re-show this movie. Like, you can't show the footage of me acting in this movie in another movie that might do well because I don't want people to see it. Aww. Just don't show it. This movie is on a lot of lists. I mean, it's number 48 on the AFI's original list and then it dropped to 56 on the 10th anniversary list. But they, they marked the shark as number 18 on their 50 best villains, which I think is a really bold move. I mean, it's, what is his name? Let's talk about that. What do we think? Oh, what do you think the shark's name is, Mom? I think the shark's name is Jaws. Um, yeah, This I isn't fair because I actually know the name. What, is, what do you think the name is? We all know the name. Everyone, what? because of Finding Nemo, the name is knows the name is Bruce. No, no. Bruce is just is. the name of the animatronic shark. No, the shark's name is Bruce after no. Spielberg's lawyer, Bruce Raymer. Okay, but that's the name. It's like... That's the name of the actor. Yes, it's the name of the actor animatronic the is character. named Bruce. But the character... The character is, is not named, named Jaws. Jaws. <laughs> that's like... That's like looking at, at, at Michael Myers and going, his name is Knife. They it yell must, his name all the time. Maybe his name is they the shark. try to get his attention by yelling shark. So that's that's clearly his name. If it's not Bruce, I refuse to accept Jaws <laughs> as name its name. <laughs> well, and the quote "You're gonna need a bigger boat" is number thirty-five on the AFI's top one hundred movie quotes, which is really interesting because that line was improved. That was not part of the script. It was actually an inside joke um, amongst the entire crew because. They, you know, like, apparently production of this movie was just crazy, but the crew and the equipment and, like, craft services that they had to bring out on a boat had this really small support boat, and it was, quote-unquote, too small. And so that's where that started, is people would be like, ah, we need a bigger boat. And then it just became a thing that, like, every time... I I have a, a, a quote, every time something went wrong, if lunch was late or the swells were rocking the camera, someone would say, you're going to need a bigger boat. That's a quote by Carl Gottlieb, the co-writer of the screenplay. And so Roy Scheider just started saying it in different takes, <laughs> just like throughout the movie, whenever he thought it might be uh, funny, he said, you're going to need a bigger boat. And then 
finally, like, there was just a moment that it was so good that they're like, we're using it there. But apparently the first test audiences that they played it for completely didn't miss that line because they screamed for so long after seeing the shark that it drowned out the line. So they added, they had to add more physical like film onto it to extend that sequence to like give them time to stop screaming and hear (laughs) the line. I read, and I don't know if you have this in your uh, notes, but that this movie along with um, maybe The Exorcist were people got something called like movie psychosis. Yeah, there was a there was a 17-year-old girl who started screaming like <laughs> who like broke down a couple days after the movie and started just like hallucinating and screaming about sharks. So people were scared. Let's revisit. Do we think that 6 or 7 is too young to see this movie? <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's it's too young to enjoy the movie. Yeah. I I enjoyed it in a very frightened way. Although I don't think I got the complexities of, say, Quint's speech. Right, or just that feeling where you know that something's wrong and the mayor, whoever the mayor is in your life, is not listening to you. You know, that that's such a good dynamic. And, you know, people have been bringing it up during COVID a lot, you know. Like, yeah. people aren't shutting things down. Yeah. They're, they're like the mayor and Jaws. And I have two pieces of cameo trivia for you. One of which is that Peter Benchley appeared in the movie as a TV reporter during the 4th of July weekend scene. He's he's one of the the reporters with a little microphone there as Peter Benchley. And also Steven Spielberg is in the movie twice, kind of. His voice is the voice of the radio dispatcher um, that that the Amity Island dispatcher who calls Quint's boat, the orca, named after the only natural predator of sharks, and who, who's like connecting them to Brody's wife or something. That's Spielberg's voice. But also, and this is my favorite one, for the 4th of July, like, Sousa band scene, they had their orchestra, but they said it sounded too professional, and they wanted it to sound just more like a, an actual band might sound and a little more amateur and so apparently Steven Spielberg played the clarinet in high school <laughs> and he was really excited about it. And so they got Steven Spielberg to play the clarinet with the rest of the orchestra to make it sound worse. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I I wonder how many movies he's been in as cameos because I know in Gremlins he was also in a little bit in the background of a scene like riding on a weird bicycle at the inventors oh at the inventors thing yeah at the inventors convention so he likes to he's one of those directors who likes to put himself in there in a little jokey way if i was a a big name director i would definitely play an instrument in every movie that i make just for just for a hot minute we're holding you to that you know I, i took violin for the first semester of senior year i think if they if they need some violin stuff to sound more amateur Speaking of violin, that John Williams score, how about that, huh? Incredible. It won an Oscar. Amazing And score. actually, it won an Oscar during the 1976 Academy Awards, which he was conducting. So John Williams had to stop conducting, run up on stage to get his best score, Oscar, 
and then run <laughs> back down and continue conducting the ceremony. Uh, baller move all around. And, he and did I, that, I think the, I uh, saw the orchestra sped up and slowed down kind of randomly. They couldn't keep. Yeah, they were a real beat. mess, real Spielberg sounding orchestra for a minute there. <laughs> um, and I, I think I saw something that like there's only been maybe three Spielberg movies that John Williams didn't do the score for. I oh. want a bro like that. Do you have any more tidbits you want to share with us, Zoe? I have just one more because I'm thinking about acting credits. There was a, uh, you'll see how I'm going to get there. The disembodied head scare of of the the dude, Ben Gardner, right? That's mm-hmm. who it is. That was, he shot it and he'd already gotten extra footage of it, but he decided, Spielberg, that he didn't like it. And so he decided to reshoot it in the backyard swimming pool of one of the editors, Verna Fields. And so they just poured a gallon of milk into the pool water and I guess got a freaking fake head. And yeah, so they they just shot that in their backyard, which makes me think of my own Jaws acting credits for when we filmed several scenes from the movie Jaws in our backyard hot tub. (laughs) (laughs) Which one of you cares to elaborate on um, well, it was the beginning, the beginning of COVID, and we weren't really sure, you know, how long it was going to go and what we were going to make of it. So we thought maybe we were going to start making, um, what are they called, like uh, scene by scene, shot by shot, shot remakes. By shot remakes. Yeah, shot by shot remakes of uh, trailers, and we picked Jaws because apparently um, we love this movie, but also we thought, sure, we can do that a movie with easy a- to do. <laughs> With a shark in it, in the ocean, we can film that in our backyard. Lots of barrel action and some, you know, <laughs> deep underwater shots. We used yeah, let's for the do barrels. it. Yeah, well, we did, and it was awesome. We did. And it's it's several minutes of us playing every character. You know, I I play Hooper. I also play the little child crying on the beach. I also play the first lady that gets dragged underwater. And, and yes. We poor Mom Zoe Brody. Poor, uh, me, oh, we had poor, to we had to film that shot like nine times. Because well, we didn't not think about right. We didn't think about just tying your foot to something and pulling you down <laughs> in our hot tub and dragging you back and forth, or or pulling pouring water down your mouth. See, and I, always do the. Yeah, we could have we could have tried that. That was great. We're gonna put that at the end. A link to it at the end of the podcast. That was our only shot by shot trailer thus far yeah we really thought that was going to become a whole thing we had grand schemes for like die hard or halloween and then we sat in quarantine and watched all of the fast and furious movies instead (laughs) so (laughs) so if we make no more podcasts then we'll 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 be down the road of everything we do we do one with jaws and then nothing else (laughs) and you and brian have both written songs inspired by the true events of Jaws, by, inspired by Jaws. I, that's, <laughs> all right. So, so my song is, is called Shark Week, and it's not about sharks. It is not. Well, it is not about okay. sharks. But would you say it's inspired by sharks? <laughs> I guess that I do mention swimming at the beach, I, I mention werewolves also, which are monsters, not unlike Bruce from Jaws. Isn't, isn't the chorus something like, it's Shark Week, it's Shark Week, right. shark, shark, so shark Week. The, <laughs> well, it's the, the blood, there's blood, mm-hmm. 
blood sharks. So per- perhaps that's yeah, yeah. Why don't we go with that? I think it's inspired by Jaws in the way that I think Shark Week. So, so this nineteen sixteen attacks made people <laughs> all go out and kill sharks, and then people were like, "Oh, we should maybe conserve sharks and not kill them." Then Jaws came out, and both Peter Benchley and our friend Monster Man Frank Mundus both became um, like shark conservationist guys after they realized like their contribution to people just being totally afraid of sharks and feeling like sharks are terrible and you should kill them. And so Shark Week is kind of in response to both of those events. Right. And then you when know, I say Shark Week, it's yep. in response to Shark Week. That's right. Inspired and let's by. Say, I, I will say, I will say, um, I am not, however many jokes I make, I'm not pro- going out and killing sharks that, that no. i don't want that to be the takeaway Although no i, I know your feelings really cool <laughs> you know i know that you're f- talking about. you don't need to kill sharks because you just don't go near sharks i just stay out of the shower out of the <laughs> toilet you don't wash the dishes i just any any water no matter how big how small i've stopped myself from crying for for near on seven years now because <laughs> sharks could look be but, you know, just come you know right what? out of there. Also, you might be more pro-shark killing if uh, if you had broadened your exposure beyond just Jaws to such classics as Deep Blue Sea, Sharknado, Sharknado 2, oh, Sharknado, Sharknado 3, Sharknado 4, and of course, Sharktopus. <laughs> <laughs> that was great. That was our first episode about Jaws, and we will... Our first episode about Jaws. <laughs> Look, we might, we might have more Stay episodes. Stay tuned for Jaws 2, the revenge. <laughs> We're just an all-Jaws podcast. Um, do you have anything you want to plug, you want to put in your uh, your social medias here, Zoe and Brian? Yeah, I'm not currently, I don't currently have any events to plug, although I am an actor, so I might in the future have events, but... Um, Right now, you can keep updated and find me on Twitter at Zoe S. Gray. And you can find my original music if you enjoy the uh, sharkish tunes that you're going to hear on Patreon as Zoe Gray. All right. uh, Well, I do write and record songs. Uh, The easiest way to to get to me is Music. Dot com Brian with an I gray with an a Brian gray music.com I have uh, I have a Facebook page I have Twitter I have patreon but I don't remember those or just go to the website and then there's buttons to get to the other things that's easiest I got nothing don't follow me <laughs> <laughs> you are you are nameless faceless as far legless as as those oh, <laughs> oh I'm so too, too soon like Film Fam inspired by two events, subscribe to hear more stories that inspired our favorite films. For photos and links from the show and other shenanigans, follow us on Instagram at Film Fam Podcast, on Twitter at Film Fam underscore podcast, and on Facebook at Film Fam inspired by true events. If you have any questions, comments, corrections, or films whose inspiration you'd like us to explore, you can email us at filmfampodcast at gmail.com. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Zoe. Thank you all for listening. See you next time. Bye. 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 We're going to play that out with music.